In our series, we've been looking at that theme of having the cry, give me Jesus, right? Kind of has the theme of our life and our, our walk with God. And you know, we realize that that has a certain connotation of value. When we're saying, give me Jesus, we're saying, Lord, we value you more than anything else in life. It um, gives us that sense, Jesus is everything. He's our treasure. Um, He's worth more than silver or gold. You know, we were singing that chorus early, Lord, none compares to you. Uh, That treasure within my heart. I mean, that's the cry. Lord, give me Jesus. And, you know, that that's actually something Jesus talked about in his ministry. That thought of having that treasure. He said what we valued in life in our hearts is important. In fact, it affects our eternity. Um, And he gave us a couple of parables really asking the question, where, where is our treasure? Because where our treasure is, that where our heart is. We'll read that. And so he gave a couple of parables about that, about the treasure, heavenly treasure. Um, actually, when you look at the Gospels, you realize Jesus spoke um, the most about, you know, like that, that thought of the importance of what we focus on whether it's money or position or the desires of life, that's really what he always seemed to to hit upon is where is our heart? What are we focused on in life? And uh, just before we go into the parables of the treasure, um, I wanted to just read a verse of the Apostle Paul. He shows us one of our main problems as Christians. And this is in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. I'm going to read this from a a kind of a more obscure translation. I just liked how it goes. I don't, we didn't have it in our database, but, um, but it says this, it says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, right? That at least that's what our ability is. Um, For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, and so, you know, we're, we're not to focus on what is seen, what we can see with our eyes. Instead, we're to focus on what is unseen. And that takes, that takes some effort. It takes some imagination, right? I mean, if it's hard to focus on something that's not there. You kind of have to use your, use your imagination, so to speak, and, but yet that's what God's asking us to do. What the scripture is, is we are to focus on what is unseen because what is unseen is the real treasure in life and the real treasure in eternity. Of course, our big problem is we can't see it. And we like focusing on the things we can see, on what we can feel, what's tangible, right? What we can taste, what we can observe. And some people refuse to believe in anything they can't observe to their own detriment, unfortunately. But the Lord emphasized again and again for us not to be distracted by what we can see with our eyes, but we're to seek for those things, the unseen things of the kingdom of God. We know they're there. We just can't see them. Well, we know they're there by faith. We believe that they're there. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 6. In verse 19, 
the verse we mentioned earlier. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, the seen things that we so easily look to. Because moth and rust corrupts them, thieves break through and steal them. But instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break through or steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. It's really a verse to live by, isn't it? Lord, where's my heart today? Well, what do we value in life? What do we call our treasure? Um, you know, the things in life, I was just kind of quickened by this, this thought in verse 19 about how easily corrupted they are. Moth and rust corrupts or thieves take it from us what we value. Um, you know, those things in life are easily corrupted, meaning they don't last long. They could be lost. And they're transient. We can't take them with us. But you know, in one sense, they're easily corrupted, but they can easily corrupt us as well. If that's where our heart is. If it, because they, they cause us to take our focus off of God and His kingdom. But if our treasure is in heaven... That's where our heart will remain focused. So in this light, Jesus shares two parables about treasure. And I just wanted to look at that with you this morning. And the first one is in Matthew 13 and verse 44. And you could call it, it's only one verse long, but we still call it a parable. Uh, it's the parable of the hidden treasure. And it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that was hidden in a field. It was just buried there. And, the, and a man found it. And he found it, and he probably was like, whoa, what did I find? It's a treasure. And so the, what he did was, look, probably looked around, I'm inferring, and he's buried it again, <laughs> covered it up. Maybe he put a little mark or something or a reference to see where it was. And he went off in joy, and he sold everything he had, he possessed he must not, have, you know, his possessions were limited, but he had enough to buy the field that that treasure was hidden in. And he went and bought it for joy and he obtained a treasure because it became his. And so here's the, a picture of a laboring man, right? We can understand that because he's, he's digging in another man's field. You don't do that if you're, if you're well off necessarily, right? And so he didn't own it. Usually you wouldn't work in another man's field unless you're there for wages or for whatever reason you're hired to do it. But notice first, this man wasn't even looking for it. It surprised him, right? He just kind of was digging, doing something in the earth and he found it, stumbled upon it, you know, and, and that kind of, we can understand that maybe from people who lived in earlier times. Today, if we had treasure, you know, maybe we'd hide it in our house, find a good hiding place. We know that's not very safe. So we'd go to a bank and get a safety deposit or something like that and keep it safe or, you know, convert it into currency and keep it in the bank account. But back in, in Jesus' day and, and even just times not too long ago, that, that wasn't an option. And so a lot of times when trouble was coming, you'd take your riches 
and you'd bury it in a place that no one knew and you'd mark it and keep it in your memory or something. And of course, sometimes they never came back, right? You know, they, they didn't get the chance to come back. I was actually reading about Florida and historians estimate that Florida um, has probably the greatest amount of buried wealth of any place in the world. Um, it's kind of a mix of, mix of just all the, the different treasures that people found in the old world. You know, I mean, actually, people have found stashes of Mexican gold, Spanish gold, pirate treasure, and historians say most of it has yet to be recovered. Ooh. And they've made TV shows about trying to find it all. Um, in fact, there's one pirate that operated out of Tampa Bay uh, near Egmont Key. And uh, before he was captured, he buried his treasure. And supposedly, it's never been found. Uh, that's tempting, right? <laughs> but the trouble is, is we, what we can be tempted to set our heart upon. Those things in the earth. Now, obviously, we're, the Lord's using this as, an, as a natural illustration to show us something spiritual, right? Is that there's, and, and to start off with, there's an application for salvation here because in one sense, God sought us. He saved us while we were yet sinners and offered us the treasure of dwelling with him in heaven for eternity. And, and that's really a picture of salvation, of, of the gift and the treasure God has given to us. And, but it's also, you know, when we're going out and witnessing in reality, we're just trying to persuade people to take a big treasure, right? To, to receive a, a glorious eternal wealth that will be theirs for all eternity. They, didn't, they don't even know about it. We're trying to tell them about it. And sometimes we got to convince them. Yeah, it's real. It's eternal. Of course, they can't see it. That's the problem. You know, the rich young ruler, Jesus said, all you got to do is sell it all. But in reality, he was offering something much greater than the wealth that that ruler had to give up. But he couldn't see it. But then, of course, this uh, parable kind of speaks to us beyond salvation because it says in the parable that the man sold everything he had to obtain it. And so I think we can look at, at not every Christian has sold everything in a sense to obtain Christ. Um, and so there is a sense of, you know, as we walk with God, there's a selling of what we feel is valuable and what we want to look at and what we focus on so that we obtain what Christ has for us. And so it can really speak of obtaining a vision so that the kingdom of God is so real to us, we're willing to give up everything to follow Christ and be his disciple. In fact, that's what the, the rich young ruler was asking, Lord, I want to be your disciple, or what Jesus was offering to him. Sell all and be my disciple and follow me. That was his opportunity. And I've probably shared before, but it bears re repeating about the story of the missionary C.T. Studd. You know, I really like reading his biography. I've read it several times. Um, but he was led to the Lord as a young man, and he was also a great cricket player. And he went to the college in England of Cambridge, 
of the university, I should say. He played cricket there and he was very good. In fact, it was reported he was one of the best in England at the time playing cricket. Um, and he tried to, to balance his Christian life and play cricket, um, but he found that cricket was winning out and his desire for God was becoming less and less. Um, and it kind of came to a decision, point of decision where he had to choose cricket or God. And thankfully he chose God and cried out, Lord, help me to serve you and to follow you and to do what it takes. And and he felt God calling him to the mission field. And he's like, Lord, I have to follow you. And he felt God speak to him directly from the story of the rich young ruler, where God spoke to him, sell all and follow me. Well, that was significant to C.T. Studd because he came from a very wealthy family and he had a large inheritance that was coming to him when he came of age. And, and here God was calling him to the mission field and saying, sell all and follow him. He knew exactly what that was. And so he basically, he's just started a campaign of writing checks. <laughs> and he wrote checks to, I think he wrote one to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and um, to different ones in England and so forth. And he helped founded a lot of works through that. But he wrote his last check and he said, okay, Lord, now I can follow you. And his heart was just fixed upon God. And, you know, he first went to China, then to Africa. And, and in fact, his organization that he established is still goes on today. You know, it's lasting. But, you know, there's that idea that people can be saved, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, but not gripped by a vision of the higher ways of the kingdom of God. They haven't sold all to follow him. And, you know, God is not going to call. In fact, I think he calls very few to literally give up all their possessions. Right? I think that's a very unique calling if God calls someone to do that. So that's not something we have to worry about. You know, I think what we have to be concerned about is where is our heart? What do we value in life? What is our treasure? God wants to, our heart to be gripped so that our treasure is found in him. I remember a story, a pastor sharing a story, how he was traveling. I think he was just through an airport or train station one day. And he met someone who was traveling there. Um, she saw he was a pastor and she said, oh, I've, I've tried Christianity. You know, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't very exciting. And you know what the pastor did? He said, you know, I agree with you. Christianity is not always very exciting. Um, you know, there's some unexciting aspects. But then he pointed out this verse about the treasure and these parables, the treasure hidden in the field, and, and pointed out to her that, that God wanted to ha her to have a higher vision for what mattered in eternity. There's a higher calling. You know, you can get really bored of Christianity. And it doesn't take too long, right? As soon as, soon as you start have to go through some of the more challenging aspects of following God, right? You know, if you only focus on the outward things of going to church once in a while or reading the Bible and praying and so forth, it can get boring. But if you have a treasure in Christ that's hidden, hidden in our hearts, and that's our desire that will keep us. And so really the truth is in understanding God's 
plan and purposes for our lives, his calling, to have our eyes opened, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, to, to, to see what is the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of the inheritance that's found in him. Jesus also said in John 8, 32, he says, when you, when you know or when you obtain the truth, the truth will set you free. And really that freedom is being set free to follow him and not being bound by our treasure being found in this earth. And so that this treasure is merely presented as an opportunity, you know, just like the Lord presents a wonderful opportunity of, of discovery, of coming into his truth. You know, God wants to, to give us a discovery of his treasure as it's presented to us through his word. And, and then we have to buy his truth and sell it not. We might have to, you know, sell some things to purchase that field. But in it is his treasure. It's more valuable to us than anything in this life. And so the first parable he gave was the, the hidden treasure, stumbling upon it. But then he gave another parable. And this is in Matthew 13, 13 verse 45, where he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, seeking good, beautiful pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So here's someone, again, selling everything to obtain a treasure. And you know, this one is a little different because he's a merchant man. In a sense, he, he already has possessions. He has the ability to go out and buy and sell and, and so forth. Um, and so you know, you, you kind of get a, a sense of progression. You know, once you have obtained treasure, then you just want to go out and find more. You know, use what you have to increase it. And so he's looking. He's actually going out and actively seeking the pearl of great price. And so here the Lord is, is making a, bringing out a specific treasure. It's a pearl. And a pearl can, you know, speak to us. You know, the natural concept of a pearl can speak to us of what God wants to do in us and through us. And, you know, pearl is formed, formed in certain oysters and uh, what happens is that something lodges in them, like a grain of sand or a foreign substance, and it's so irritating and annoying to them that it keeps continually secreting this juice that hardens, and layer after layer, it keeps hardening, and they keep saying, man, this thing's still annoying. So they secrete this juice over and over again until that pearl is formed of many layers that's been hardened. And so a pearl speaks to us of going beyond just understanding the truth, but becoming the truth, having the truth worked into us. You know, Christ was our pattern, is our pattern. He was perfected through suffering, just like that oyster had to suffer and endure that to produce a beautiful pearl. And, you know, that's why Paul went around to his churches and he encouraged them. Like he said in Acts 14, it's through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God and, and not just enter it, but that we experience it and 
can have the kingdom of God fulfilled in us, it's through that grain of sand just staying there continually. Time, Lord, why is this irritation still in my life? And, oh, Lord, this is so hard. But he's doing, he's doing that work of beauty in us, of finding that treasure. And it's formed through those difficult experiences. And we cry out to him. And, you know, each time we cry out to him, that's, that substance is released that covers that, that makes it at least endurable. You know, the, maybe it's the oil of grace and strength that we can endure. Thing is, we gotta keep crying out for it again and again. And maybe it's another layer upon that pearl. But they speak to us. You know, these pearls can speak to us of, of these aspects of beauty that Christ is forming within us, maybe of long-suffering, meekness, and gentleness. There might be several pearls that God <laughs> wants to develop over the course of our life, but, but you know, when they're developed, they're you know, kind of like a necklace can have those pearls hanging upon it, but they're there for eternity. You know, Pastor Bailey shared a story in forget which of his books about the pearl and how he was teaching about the pearl to a group of college students. And of course, afterwards, they're around him asking all sorts of questions about that. And um, one of them was asking, why do some oysters have pearls and some do not? And Pastor Bailey said, well, you know, it's a good question. I don't know. But they were at a college. And one of them said, well, why don't we call the professor of marine biology? And they, someone said, that's a good idea. Let's call him. And they called him up. Too bad it was 11 at night. But they got a hold of him. And he had a very interesting answer. He said that um, some oysters lay at the bottom of the ocean and it's a life of perfect serenity. You know, nothing's stirred up. They're just sitting there kind of filtering their food out and they're content to do that. But he said some oysters are not. And so they want to move. They want to go on to a different place. And they do that. Of course, we know oysters have no legs. So how do they move? They just have to open and close their mouth, their jaw. And that's how they move around. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to try and see what, what that looks like, trying to move around when all you have is a mouth. Right. Of course, when they do that, things can come in and get lodged there. And then that is where the pearl can be formed in them. And so there's that thought that the ones who form the pearls are the ones who want to move, who want to progress somewhere else. And so there's that beautiful thought. If we want to be Christians who are forming that pearl and that beauty of Christ in our lives, right? we can't be content to stay where we are, but we're moving. But then, of course, there's this business of the irritating sand, right? that, that, that those irritations are going to come. The, the difficulties, the sufferings, and the trials are going to come. But it is what forms Christ in us, the hope of glory, as we continually cry out for His grace, for His mercy, for His strength. His grace and His mercy and strength come into us. You know, maybe you could say through the oil of His Spirit, and they coat what we're crying out for, and we do it again, and again, and again. I don't know how many layers a pearl has. That would be an interesting question to ask, but it seems like some of them have many layers. 
because we have to cry out many times to God. But, you know, it's as the Lord said, it's the violent who take the kingdom. It's those who are active, those who are working, that will obtain the kingdom of God. One last illustration here. You know, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you know it's a story about him. And his goal is to get to the celestial city, the glorious city. And, you know, in the story, he, he finally, after so many obstacles and difficulties, he comes to the city and there's one final obstacle. Um, and that, and it seems kind of hard to understand, but around the celestial city, there's a gate there that everyone goes through. But, but he said the gate was surrounded by villains and they were pre- preventing all of the the pilgrims from going easily within the city. And he saw a man at a desk uh, there and a large company of people kind of there. And they all wanted to put their name down on the ledger and go in, but they knew if they did that, they would have to get through the villains. And he said uh, in the story, there was finally one fellow who came over. He wrote his name down and he drew his sword and he just rushed at those villains and started hacking through them. And it was a hard fight and a difficult fight, but he hacked through them and he made it through into the city. And as he made it through, a cheer rang up. As that valiant soldier and pilgrim made it into the celestial city. You know, that was the desire of the Apostle Paul to continue on in his fight, even at the end or close to the end of his life, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. His cry was for the pearl. Lord, I want that pearl in my life. I want the beauty of your kingdom to be seen in me for all eternity. And so, You know, even though it doesn't make sense in my flesh and in my natural body, I'm going to cry out, Lord, can I know you in suffering? Lord, can I know you in difficulty? Lord, can I even be likened and conformed into the pattern of your death? Because in in so doing, we were conformed into the pattern of his resurrection and his life. And those experiences, they're not necessarily pleasant at the time, but afterwards you look back on those experiences with joy because you met God there and he formed something in your life. And so these two parables about treasure, they're the treasure of the kingdom, the treasure that he desires to give to us, to work within us. You know, we see people who are willing to risk and give up everything to obtain something that's so much more valuable, worth more than anything we can, we can imagine. And that's what we want our vision to be. Like the ver- verse we read when we began in, in 2 Corinthians 4, we want to focus not on what we see, but on what cannot be seen. Because when we do that and we make the things of God our treasure, we're making our cry, give me Jesus. And Father, we desire that to be our cry today. Lord, we just acknowledge times where we've looked upon the things that 
we can easily see in the senses, Lord, things that we can discern in, in the outward. And Lord, we've made that our desire or our focus. And Lord, we just come to you now asking, oh God, Lord, that you would turn our eyes unto you and the things of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would even draw our hearts afresh, Lord, to value, Lord, what you value, to value eternity and what you have for us and the things you're requiring us and you're asking us to do. Lord, we, we recognize it's, it's something divine that you're asking us to sell everything and follow you. Lord, we pray for help. Help us, oh God, that when you present that opportunity, we would say yes and we would surrender our will and our way, Lord, and our desire. Lord, we just declare our desire is for you and for your treasure. Let that treasure be firmly, Lord, in us that our heart would be established in you and in your kingdom, we pray. Oh, Lord, we want our cry to be, give me Jesus. Thank you. Amen.